Would you open God's word to Galatians chapter 4? We'll be reading from verse 21 to verse 31. So you're turning your way there. Just want to encourage you to consider the, the words of the song we have just sung together. Uh, there are not many songs we have in our, in our repertoire of songs that are dedicated specifically to the doctrine of the church. Uh, but this one is it. Uh, it's an incredibly sweet and, and uh, wonderful uh, song about the nature and mission of the church. So I encourage you to meditate on the words of that song uh, throughout the week. Let's open God's word to Galatians chapter 4. We'll be reading from verse 21 uh, to verse 31. Galatians chapter 4. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you join me in praying and asking God to bless the preaching of his word and our hearts as we hear? Let's pray. Gracious Father, speak to our hearts through your word in a way that may bring freedom to those who are still in bondage, in a way that may exalt the freedom that we have been given through Christ so that we may never want to go back to the slavery we once had before. We pray all this, Father, for the name of Christ and through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit among us. Amen. The text we have just read is a bit unusual. Uh, it contains an illustration from the Old Testament that demands an explanation. Usually that's not how it works. In preaching classes, uh, they told us that if you have to use an illustration, then that requires an explanation. It defeats the purpose of the illustration. This time... Paul is using an illustration that is not intuitive at first. 
he must explain it, and, and the explanations are, are a bit strange. And yet, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul helps us understand a real story from the Old Testament in a way that it brings home the truth that those of us who have responded to Christ by faith, those who have put our reliance on Jesus, on his death in our place, and on his resurrection for us, we experience a freedom, a new life that is no longer in bondage. And trying to make sense as Christians of the freedom that we have in Christ and the bondage that we have when we are not in Christ, the Apostle Paul is trying to bring in an illustration and explains it and brings home its application for us. The application that the Apostle Paul will bring from this illustration and its explanation has a simple picture. And it's this. Christians are children of promise. Christians are children of promise. Now, what do you think that means? Christians are children of promise. If you are a Christ follower, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are a child, a son or daughter, children of promise. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you have not responded yet, perhaps not even understood the news of the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, I hope that you will hear that today. But perhaps you have heard it before, you've just not responded to it by faith, placing your trust in Jesus. Recognize that this theme that we are talking about today is not yet you. You're not yet part of being a children of promise. But I hope that you would become so today. I hope that today or, or sometime this week that God would work in your heart to make you understand what does it mean to become a child of promise. What does it mean to be children of promise? So I hope today, whether you're a Christian or a non-believer, non-Christian, that today we get to hear from this passage what the Apostle Paul tries to teach us through this text, what it means to be children of promise. Paul contrasts the, the picture of children of promise or sons of promise with those who are sons of slavery in bondage. We see in this text a contrast between two sons, two different births, from two mothers, and the struggle between them. We'll, con we'll consider this contrast between two sons, two births, two mothers, and the struggle between them. Because being children of promise uh, has to do with three facets that are in this passage. Being children of promise has to do with the nature of our birth, with the source of our life, and the struggle of our journey. Being children of promise has to do with the nature of our birth, the source of our life, and the struggle of our journey. In each of these areas, we'll see the contrast between children of promise and children of slavery. Let's look at the first reality, the first meaning of what does it mean to be children of promise. The nature of our birth is different. 
the nature of our birth is different. And you say, how so? What, what do you mean that the birth is different? Well, the Apostle Paul challenges the Christians in the churches in Galatia who were considering to go back to bondage, to live under the law, to give back into legalism. He's challenging them to actually read what the law says. And he takes us to the first book of the law, the book of Genesis. And he, there, the Apostle Paul takes the readers and us to an illustration of two sons. Both were Abraham's sons. But Paul says, it doesn't matter if you think you are Abraham's son. The important part is not if you think you have Abraham as your father. Paul says, what kind of son are you? There is a difference because there are two sons very different than Abraham had. The nature of their birth is the first reality of their difference. And this is what Paul unpacks in verses 23 and, and following. Uh, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free was born through promise. This is the difference. The nature of their birth was different. The first birth, Ishmael's birth, happened while Abraham still had the ability to father children before he became too old. That is, Abraham uh, decided to have offspring through his slave, Hagar, whom he took as his wife in order to have offspring from her. He tried to help God's plan go forward. He knew of God's promise that God had given to him years before, but time was passing. Years were passing. Decades were passing. The plan of God had not become fulfilled yet. So what does Abraham and, and Sarah together agree? Let's have Abraham go and marry Hagar and have offspring through Hagar. And this is the meaning of the phrase, the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Ishmael's birth happened according to Abraham's natural abilities. The second birth, the birth of Isaac, took place when, humanly speaking, there was no more hope for Abraham to have another child. Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. And she had been barren all her time, all her life. Yet, when all human hopes and abilities were gone, God intervened by bringing Abraham and Sarah a promise. Do you remember the story? In the book of Genesis, if you've read Genesis, you remember it. If you're new to Christianity and to the Bible, uh, the, the book of Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And in it, we read uh, the story of Abraham and, and Sarah. And here, let me just read a few of the verses as it unfolds how God intervened in Abraham's life and brought the promise. Genesis 17, God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. 
I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Then a chapter later, the Lord sends three angels to Abraham and Sarah. And the angels said to Abraham, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And then in chapter 21 in Genesis, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. This is the meaning of the phrase, the son of the free woman was born through promise. Isaac's birth took place through God's promise when all human abilities have expired. When we might say, Lord, it's too late. It's too late. Have you ever been there? Feeling like, humanly speaking, there's no more hope, no more ability. This is when God brought the promise to Abraham to bless him with a child. When all hopes and human abilities were gone. Now listen to the book of Hebrews. How the book of Hebrews describes the events of what was going on in Sarah's and Abraham's heart in that season when God did the promise. Hebrews 11 speaks this way. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. And then in verse 11, the author of Hebrews says this about Abraham. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. This is the character of, Abraham, of Isaac's birth. It's very different from Ishmael. And, and Paul wants to bring this difference of their birth to the foreground here in front of us. And this, this, the difference is significant. One took base, one was based, took place on natural human abilities. The other took place against human abilities. When every, Abraham's body was as good as dead. And the second took place where no more human abilities were present. But you know what? It still happened. And it happened because God promised it. It happened because God said it. And his word had power to bring back into Sarah's womb the ability to conceive when there had been no more ability to conceive. Well, friends, when Paul finishes explaining this example, this illustration from Abraham and Sarah, he makes the application to the believers in Galatia and to us now in verse 28 in the most clear, simple way. Now, you brothers, 
like Isaac, are children of promise. Let that sink in. Our birth happened. The birth that Paul is describing for believers happened like it happened with Isaac through God's promise, through God's word. When there is no more human ability, when there is no more human possibility for that birth to take place. Friends, brothers and sisters, to be children of promise, we must understand how our new birth took place. Our new birth as children of promise happened differently than our natural birth. The Bible calls it regeneration, being born again. For our spiritual birth to happen, God had to intervene and act not with our human abilities, but against our human abilities. Not to sink in his efforts with our efforts, but to work when there's no more human ability. That is what regeneration is. It happens through God's promise, through God's word, through God's spirit. By the way, in verse 29, if we look further down, the children of promise are born not only according to promise, but in verse 29, he says, they're born according to the spirit. Describes even Isaac's birth, born according to spirit. This tells us that when God works through his word to promise, he uses his spirit to bring life through what God speaks. It is the Holy Spirit of God who makes the proclamation of the word of God effectual in our hearts to bring us life into our souls. Our very statement of faith says the following about regeneration. Regeneration or the new birth is a work of God's grace whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It's a change of heart brought by the Holy Spirit through the conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The statement of faith captures clearly that our human response of repentance and faith is not the condition of our new birth. It is not the cause of our regeneration. It is the fruit of the new birth caused in our hearts by the Spirit of God. So to be children of promise, we understand that our nature, our birth is different. It happened through God's promise, through the Word and the Spirit. Not with our human abilities, but against our human abilities apart from human abilities. And when the Spirit of God comes in us and brings life into our souls, He then brings the ability that we did not have before. Without that work of the Holy Spirit, there is no ability to repent. There is no ability to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, the Bible makes clear that even repentance and faith are a gift we receive from God. Our new birth is not conditioned by our repentance and faith. Rather, our repentance and faith is the fruit 
that the Holy Spirit has brought new life in our souls through the preaching and the hearing of the Word of God. Friends, this has vast implications in how we think about evangelism, how we think about church, how we think about missions. It means that we don't have to rely on human methods to bring about conversions or decisions for Jesus. We must preach the gospel knowing that the mere and the simple proclamation of Jesus, of the, of the way of salvation through Christ, the Lord uses that proclamation to bring mysteriously new life into the hearts of those who hear it. And all we see and all we hear is their response of repentance and faith. But conversion happens through the promises of God, through God acting through His Word and Spirit when He awakens our, whole, our souls and He enables us to believe and to respond to Him. I remember the Sunday evening when uh, Talia was converted. One in our Sunday evening service, in a prayer service. It wasn't an evangelistic service. It was a prayer service. We were simply singing hymns, praying, and taking the Lord's Supper. And the Lord brought into her soul life. Oh, friends, if you're a Christian, I wonder, do you consider the cause of your new birth to be your action or God's action? If you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to hear these words and recognize that the, the Bible calls us to respond to Christ by repenting of our sins, turning away from them, and placing our trust in Jesus. But recognize for any of that to happen, God has to work mysteriously through His Spirit to awaken us, to realize our need of Him, and to give us the ability to respond to Him. Friends, if you are not a Christian, I pray that today would be a day when you respond to Christ placing your trust in Him for salvation, for life, for the forgiveness of your sins. Christians are children of promise. And that means that our new birth is through God's promise, not based on human abilities, but on the God who acts to do what He promised He will do. So what does it mean to be children of promise? It means that our new birth is different. It's to promise through God's word. Second, it also means that the source of our life is different. The source of our life is different. We see this in verses 24 through 27. This is a part of a, of a text that Paul has to give some unintuitive explanations. The difference between the two sons is not only in the nature of their birth, but in the identity of their mothers. One of them was a slave woman. The other was a free woman. And Paul introduced a contrast between these two women in verse 22, and then he unpacks it in verse 24. He says in verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, the one and the other by a free woman. And then he unpacks in verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. 
She is Hagar. Now, the two women represent two covenants. Let me just pause there for a second. What is Paul doing here? He is acting. He's doing something that, is, that we as Christians uh, do not have the liberty to do, and that is to interpret the Bible allegorically. Outside of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit does it, he has the right to do it. He can tell us, and he inspired the word, he tells us how we should interpret it. But where the Bible is not being interpreted allegorically, we as Christians should not interpret the Bible allegorically. Now, what does that mean? It means thinking of symbolisms. This represents that. Taking one person or picture in the Bible and putting some spiritual significance to it. If the Bible makes that connection, then we should follow that interpretation. If the Bible doesn't make that connection, we should not find every spiritual meaning under every flower or rock or wood or whatever you want to think about. Allegorical interpretation has been a wrong view of interpreting the Scripture in the first few centuries uh, when people just say, hey, Paul did it. Why can't we do it? Paul was an apostle. You and I are not. Paul was sent by the Lord to give us an interpretive key to say when you read the Old Testament story, these are the connections you're supposed to make. The New Testament helps us make the connections with the Old Testament. Those connections should be taken from us, by us, at the lead of the New Testament. We don't have creativity. And we don't have the free pass to just say, let's just do the same thing that Paul does here and find spiritual connections all over in ways that God, the Bible, never intended. Paul does something unique here by giving an allegorical interpretation of the story of Hagar and Sarah. And the meaning is the following. Those two women in Abraham's life represent two covenants. One covenant is characterized by bondage. Another covenant, the other covenant, is characterized by life and freedom. And listen to two passages in the Old Testament that describe the new covenant that God promised. And I take us there because God himself inspired and told us what the new covenant is even in the Old Testament. And listen to what the new covenant is like. And, and consider that in contrast with the old covenant of bondage, the Mosaic covenant. Listen to Jeremiah. You don't have to turn there. Just listen along. One will be from Jeremiah 20, uh, 31 and the other from Ezekiel 36. Here's what God promised in the new covenant that he will do. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they have broken. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. The laws will be written no longer on tablets of stone, but on the hearts of the people. That's the new covenant. And then listen to another description, Ezekiel 36, 24 to 27. 
I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own lands. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleansnesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. Who will accomplish the work of the new covenant? Who is the subject behind all these actions? It is God. He's not saying, I will wait for you to clean up your life before you come to me. God says, I will work. I will do what you cannot do because you have proven yourself unable to do it. God will do the cleansing. God will change the heart. God will put his new spirit in his people. God will cause his people to walk in his statues and cause them to obey his rules. Friends, under the new covenant, the obedience of God's people will be caused by God himself. This is what the new covenant terms are. The two women in Abraham's life represent two covenants. This means that before the Mosaic Covenant was ever written, God foreshadowed through these two women, through these two statuses that they had, the contrast of how God will work for his people. And these two women represent not only two covenants, they represent the covenants so that being children of promise means that God will create in his children all the stipulations that the new covenant will require. But it goes more than that. God will put his spirit in them, changing the heart and giving them the willingness and the ability to respond to his word. That's a new covenant. But it goes more than that. The two women represent also two cities. Did you notice that? And this is the strangeness of this passage these two women are two covenants. These two women also represent two cities. And the two cities are both called Jerusalem. There are two Jerusalems. There's an earthly Jerusalem. And there's a, the Jerusalem above. Now this is, listen to verse 25. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Pause. Why and how can Paul call a city our mother? Why is he calling the Jer Jerusalem, and particularly the Jerusalem above our mother, in contrast with the Jerusalem below from, from the earth? Because it signifies the source of our life. The mother, the picture of the mother here signifies the source of our life. For the children of promise, the source of our new life comes 
from above, not from below. From the Jerusalem that is above, where Christ dwells, not from below. That's why when Nicodemus and, and Jesus were meeting in John 3, he said, unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. As one Dutch theologian puts it, those who belong to the Jerusalem above owe their spiritual existence to it. That's why the Apostle Paul uses these two pictures, two Jerusalems, and says, which one is your mother? Who's your mama? If I can use more street language. Are you just thinking of the source of your life to be that which is below from the earth? Natural abilities alone? If that's what you think of your mother, spiritually speaking, you are doomed to slavery. But Paul says, our mother is the Jerusalem above. And then he's going to give an explanation and a proof from the Old Testament why the Jerusalem above is our mother. But before we get to that explanation, let me just say this. There are some Christians, and I know it's, they're, they're very well meant, very well intended, but I think misguided. Even today, continue to be focused and excited about the earthly city of Jerusalem. As if our hope and confidence is on what's happening in the earthly city of Jerusalem. This text shows us that the Jerusalem we must be excited about is the Jerusalem above. That is the place for our hope and confidence and life. Some of us have it on our bucket list to, you know, make it eventually before we die to the, to the earthly city of Jerusalem. I get it. You get to see the places where Jesus walked. Uh, you might get to see a place that is somewhat associated perhaps mythologically with the place he was resurrected. Um, I get it. There's enthusiasm in sort of thinking through the past. But here's the Jerusalem we must be excited about and want to make sure we get to before we die the Jerusalem above. If you don't get there before you die, you're not going to get there after you die. If you don't understand that your life, the source of your life, is the Jerusalem above, you have no hope of getting there after the grave. Well, friends, I pray that you would consider who is the source? Where is the source of your life? Who is your mother? Now, how do we know Jerusalem above is our mother? I haven't gotten there yet. Let me, let me go there. Paul quotes another prophecy from the Old Testament. This time from Isaiah 54. It's from the passage that our brother Kyle read earlier in our service. There's something powerful about the context of what's going on in Isaiah 54. First of all, it's right after the chapter about the great servant, the suffering servant of chapter 53. Right after that, right after proclaiming the gospel in Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, God gives the prophet Isaiah a promise of what he will do for all those who put their faith in the suffering servant that God described in 53. Isaiah wrote this prophecy concerning the time when the earthly Jerusalem was annihilated and destroyed. And God gives an astounding promise in Isaiah 54, which Paul quotes here in Galatians 4.24. Uh, the promise is, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. 
for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. God in this text describes his people as a barren wife who cannot bear children. No human ability to bear children. But he also describes his people as a wife deserted by her husband. What hope is there for offspring for a barren wife who has also been deserted by her husband? None, humanly speaking. But this is where the promise of God intervenes again and gives this astounding promise once again, just as he did to Abraham and Sarah centuries before. When all hope and human abilities have been gone, God promises to give children to a people who had no more hope or human ability to be restored. This means that when God promises to restore his people, the restoration of his people will not depend on their natural development or human abilities. But as one Bible teacher put it, it will depend on the divine miraculous power which grants life where it seemed impossible and in such abundance that it far surpasses the possibilities offered by the flesh. Isaiah 54 starts with this amazing promise to a barren and deserted wife to have children. And that promise ends with a picture that God will build a city. Isaiah 54, 11 and 12. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate and your gates of carbuncles and all your walls of precious stones. And all it takes is to turn to Revelation 21 to see the new Jerusalem. When God says he will restore his people, though they were exiled and unable to restore themselves out of, out of bondage, God says, I will make a new city for you. But it's not going to be the earthly one. It's going to be the one above. Friends, this is what Paul is trying to help the Galatians get and understand. Sarah represents not the Jerusalem from below, Sarah represents the Jerusalem that God has promised to give that comes from above. Life to us as children of promise come from that Jerusalem, not from the one that would be restored on the, on the ground. That's why it's so important for us to understand what it means to be children of promise is not only to understand the nature of our new birth, but to understand the source of our new life. It's not our actions. It's not by trusting in in what we are able to do, but trusting in God's promises to do and to work in us what we are not able to work it in ourselves. So that's why the Apostle Paul describes the Jerusalem above as our mother. This has great implications in how we view life, our life as Christians and our life as a church. The church, my dear friends, is not the fruit of human effort. It's a fruit of God's regenerating grace. Our life together is not based on what we do as humans, but what God does through His Spirit to bring us life from above 
And with that life, he enables us to be the new creation that he called us to be. If there's not life from above among us, it does not matter how active or attractive we become. This means that if we want to see more life among us, we must trust the Word. We must go back to the Word of God. We must go back to the promises of God. We must go back to putting our confidence in the God who acts through His Word and through His Spirit when human ability is all gone and left. This is why we are committed as a church to exposit God's Word faithfully and expositionally to make sure we understand it as He intended it, seeking His intent through His Word, not what we might want it to say. Because we believe that His Word, not ours, has power to bring life and restoration. That's why I, as a pastor, I'm committed to, to be equipping you with God's Word faithfully every week as the Lord enables me. That's why we want to equip you as members to be trained in, in, in interpreting God's Word faithfully and well. As a church, we, we love the ministry of Simeon Trust, who gives themselves to equipping believers to understand and interpret God's Word faithfully and to teach it expositionally because we believe where the Word of God is understood and proclaimed as God intended, God will use that Word through Spirit to bring life where there is none. This is why also we give ourselves to the ministry of prayer. We must pray for the life of God to increase among us through the Word of God. Because we know that prayer, that life comes from above, not from below. Yet how many churches and Christians seek their lives simply by focusing on what happens below? What comes from below? I pray I'm looking forward to the starting of a new uh, prayer services next Sunday. As a church, we want to be a church that gathers to pray. It's not boring to pray. Spurgeon wrote a book because somebody dubbed the prayer services just a prayer meeting. He has a whole book on the importance of prayer, and he titled it Just a Prayer Meeting. You know what happens in just a prayer meeting? We show our confidence that the God who promised to Sarah to bring Sarah and Abraham a son is able to do so. We show our confidence in the God who promised a captive Jerusalem to say that God will bless his people with more children than they ever could imagine having. And it doesn't happen based on what happens below. It happens based on what happens above. So we want to be a, pray, a place, a church that actually seeks God in prayer on Sunday nights regularly. Oh, friends, God's way of building his people is from above not from below. God's new covenant and the Jerusalem above is how God's word brings life to his people. So let me ask you, what do you consider to be the source of life in your soul? What do you consider to be the source of life in your soul? What do you consider the source of life in our church? Is it what we do, what we accomplish, what our natural abilities are, or is it the confidence in God's word to bring life to his people? Finally, we looked at two parts of what it means to be children of promise. 
It's a nature of our birth. It's a source of our life. But Paul finishes this passage with, with talking about the struggles of our journey. It may sound after such powerful work of God working for his people that uh, the journey will be an easy one moving forward. And Paul says, no, it's not. You need to know that the journey with a God who works this way is not an easy journey. It's not a priceless journey. There's a price to pay. There's a cost to be aware of. There's a sermon to, be, to have. So Paul encourages believers and applies in verses 28 to 31, gives them some practical applications. The very first, it really is the, is the, the main message of the whole text. Now you brother, in verse 28, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. So what now? Two applications. Be ready for the struggle of persecution. Be ready for the struggle of persecution. This is verse 29. Just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. Those who love working based on their flesh will always be at odds with those who have their new life based on the Spirit. Those who are children of promise must be prepared to encounter pushback, difficulties, even persecution from those who do their religion only in the flesh. Or do a type of religion or type of spirituality that is based only on what their natural abilities can do. There's always going to be a conflict between these. So be aware of it. Be prepared for it. Religion based on the flesh, centered on human accomplishment, will always flourish in this man-centered generation. It does not take the act of God for man-based religion or spirituality to flourish. But it takes an act of God to bring about the kind of life that he promised to bring. And to such a generation, the life that comes from the Spirit of God by trusting on the promise of God will always be foreign and unattractive. It may feel slow. It may feel inefficient. It may feel counterintuitive. Friends, if even Abraham fell for it, acting in his flesh for a season of his life, let's not be surprised if others around us do the same. But let us endure the pressure and the difficulties that will come from those who prefer to carry out their spirituality based on the flesh, based on their human accomplishment, instead of based on the Word of God. But there's a second struggle. It's not only a struggle of persecution. It's a struggle to cast away the slave woman. And this shows up in our text Paul says, in he's quoting scripture again from the Old Testament, where the command is, cast away the slave woman. The struggle here, the other struggle is that the children of promise will be lured to assimilate the slave woman and let her coexist as part of their community. This was a powerful lure in the churches of Galatia. Let the legalists keep growing. What's wrong with them? Anyway, they're more conservative. Friends, legalism is a false gospel and we should not allow it. And any other false gospels 
any religion that is based on human ability, human accomplishment, the flesh, we should not allow it. It should be cast out. And the challenge, the struggle here is some who actually are okay to just let the slave woman live under the same roof. And the text calls us, cast her away. Why? Because there's no inheritance in slavery. There's no inheritance with a slave woman. The inheritance comes only with the one who has been by faith, the free woman, the new covenant, the Jerusalem above. Friends, we must fight against allowing the lure of slavery to stay around us because there's no inheritance for those who continue to live and belong to the slave woman. That's why if there's someone here this morning who has not yet turned their life and responded to Christ by repenting and trusting in Christ, this is a wonderful promise. Turn to the Lord by faith and you will receive the inheritance that comes by promise. Not by human accomplishment, but by promise. Addictions are a real thing. Christians can experience addictions, but we must always be on the side of fighting them off, not, allow, not allowing them a small room under our roof. We should not accommodate to the legalistic tendencies that are devoid of the power of God to bring true change in our hearts. And Paul closes, why these struggles are worth enduring. Because they are evidences of our new freedom from above. Paul concludes in verse 31. So brothers, we're not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. The children of promise are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. And our very struggle with these realities is evidence that the Lord has worked in us. The freedom that comes only through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate one whom God has promised to Abraham, as we saw in Galatians 3. Jesus is the ultimate seed that God promised to Abraham. And those who put their faith and trust in Christ to also become children of promise by faith in his name through a different birth with a life from a different mother, from a different source. This is what happens to the children of promise. What a glorious reality. To be children of promise is to have a new birth, a source of new life, and a journey that is struggling but worth it. I wonder this morning if you are among the children of promise by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, who alone but you could bring about life in deathness, restoration where there's no more hope, life where there's no more human abilities. Father, through your spirit and your word, we pray that you would do that work again in us and among us. As we have begun our service, revive us again through your word and enable your people to respond to you by faith for the glory of Christ. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.